Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Jerry Sm- Jeremy Smith and Peter Rutzler. Although there have been rumours, do not fret, there is no rift in this podcast. The dinner that Peter put on the other night was absolutely lovely. Uh, Jez can have as much mic time as he likes, and I have not been offered any type of money or prize in return from our higher-ups, but all about a potential real feud and more, including your questions after the latest headlines. Nice's resurgence took a stumble on Friday evening as Lucien Favre's side had to come from behind twice to draw 2-2 at home to Angers. Later that evening, Monaco continued to pile the hurt on Lille, blasting four past their hosts, who have now not won in their last six games as Falcao increased his tally to a lofty 11 goals in seven games. Paris Saint-Germain lost their 100% record on Saturday as they were held at home to Montpellier, with Neymar missing through a quote-unquote toe injury. In an entertaining multiplex, Lyon pumped three past Dijon, only for their visitors to return in kind for a high-scoring draw. Also noted was the absences of both Memphis Depay and Maxwell Cornet, even though neither were injured. Bordeaux kept their unbeaten start to the season going with a 3-1 win against Gengomp with goals from Francois Camano, Alexandre Mendy and Jonathan Cafu. Caen entered the dizzying heights of 8th thanks to an Ivan Santini penalty against Amiens, while Troyes left it late away to Metz, winning 1-0 despite being down to 10 men. On Sunday, Saint-Étienne and Rennes cancelled each other out in an entertaining 2-2 draw that saw Gabriel Silva sent off in added time. Nantes won for the fourth time in five as they came from behind to beat Strasbourg 2-1 with Leo Dubois scoring his first ever goal for Le Canary in some style. And in the evening's game, Marseille won 2-0 at home to a tepid Toulouse thanks to a rather fortunate double strikes from Florian Tovan and Lucas Ocampos. In off-the-field news, conflicting reports are rife with the apparent Edison Cavani Neymar feud. Danny Alves took them for a meal this week to work over their problems, while other outlets say it was almost like a funeral. El Pay in Spain reported late last night that Neymar, Neymar's move has caused a rift in the dressing room, with many of the players obviously put up for sale, and with his recent attitude to a popular member of the team, it's not gone unnoticed. And that's all for your news. But remember, to stay up to date with your latest for French football news, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GF. FN. We start by saying something that anyone who thinks that Liga is a farmer's league thought we might never say this season. PSG were held to a goalless draw. Focusing on the game first of all, Jez, why were the Parisians so inept at cutting down Montpellier to size? Um, I think there's there's probably uh, quite a few reasons. One of them is he talks about it being a farmer's league. Um, PSG made a big point of saying that the pitch was like a recently ploughed field. So um, I think that's one of the things they're clinging on to. They're also saying that they should have had a penalty near the end. But overall, I mean, it's just I I can conceivably see PSG going season unbeaten. But, um, you know, it's a hell of a lot to expect that they're going to be on their game. Um week in week out to, to win all of them so at some point it was going to happen um I, I do think that uh with Bayern Munich in mind possibly some players weren't playing at full throttle um I I think I've alluded to it last week but I don't understand why Emery in a match like that is still playing that that threesome in midfield you know Motta's 35 and it's not even though they haven't necessarily strengthened in that position, they do have a couple of very talented young um, defensive uh, central midfielders. Um, you know, playing Rabio, Verratti, Motta week in, week out, at some point is going to 
to backfire, I think. And while it didn't exactly this week, I do think those three are thinking, you know, there's a hell of a good chance we're going to be starting on Wednesday. Um, you know, we're not going to go all out. We're not going to risk an injury playing against Montpellier. And then, obviously, the, the um, yeah, all the, the rumours about what's going on behind the scenes and the changing rooms arguably is a factor as well. And the fact Neymar didn't play, I think, is, is as you said, quote, unquote, toe injury. But, you know, they've still got some decent players there. And it's not all about Neymar. But, again, looking at the passing stats, I think Mbappe and Cavani exchanged three passes between them. Um, I think that possibly more than anything else is because Mbappe was pretty selfish the way he played on um, at the weekend. Um, I think Draxler and Mbappe, I don't think they exchanged a single pass. Um, I might be wrong, but it's certainly, again, just a little handful. So w- when the three attacking players aren't doing much between themselves, that it's going to be tough to... to break down any defense because you're just you're just relying on individual moments of brilliance peter we've already mentioned obviously neymar wasn't there and this is a team still bedding into those three attacking players although obviously he wasn't there did they just look a little bit different without the brazilians influence uh y- yes well they did i mean being without neymar obviously had a is a is never a good thing for PSG. I mean, what he brings to the table in terms of his his flair and his his, his um, unexpected um, improvisations are are very important. Clearly, to how PSG are operating at the moment, I do think a lot of credit needs to go to Montpellier. Uh, as as much as um, PSG were poor, I mean, they did stifle them. I think Jez has touched on a good point in how Mbappe played desperately trying to make the most of being put on the left wing is how I saw it and trying to force the issue and they didn't really create very much that was particularly potent you know I mean as much there were many errors from Montpellier and the chances they did have were were, were gift wrap but they didn't actually have that many clear-cut opportunities I think um, they only had 10 shots on goal and I think I, I do like to look at expected goals as, as varied as it is, but it was only above 0.6. So that's not what you'd expect from a PSG side. And I feel like that they're... But I guess this is what an interesting point that I picked up earlier in the week um, about Emre. And as much as they're without Neymar and you know they're struggling without him, but what really is PSG's identity? Like They don't have a particular playing style. I mean, if you look at the biggest clubs in Europe, they all have a specific way of playing. And I think Emery is really trying to enforce this 4-3-3. He's trying to make it work. Um, obviously, his hand is forced when one of Rabiot, Verratti or Motta is absent. And we saw that when he switched to a two when Verratti was suspended. Um, but he's determined to use this 4-3-3, which is fragile. I mean, as, as Jez pointed out, Motta is 35. If he's injured or he gets you know, fatigued, which will happen. He will pick up those kind of uh, niggly injuries that occur when you get to a certain stage in your career. He'll have to force his hand. And it feels like the only thing, especially this season, I mean, the last couple of games especially, and it was definitely evident against Montpellier, is this sort of tepid, slow-moving possession, no real momentum, no tempo, there's no intricacy. And I think, I guess, coming back to the the original question, that's what Neymar brought was that sort of link-up play. But... I mean, Cavani, of course, is, is isolated, and we'll, t- we'll talk about the, the uh, so-called behind-the-scenes drama, which I, clearly there is something going on, um, and this definitely affects team morale and how, how they're playing together. But, you know, I, I don't see what... I mean, it's hard to criticise Emery because we'll, we'll talk about the egos and whatever he's got to deal with now, but, you know, they, they, have, they, they haven't really got a way of... a distinctive way of playing, and he's still trying to mould these players together, and... And you get instances where Mbappe is really trying to force the issue. And you get, well, Draxler, who seems to be faded under the pressure of trying to cement a place, especially with someone like Di Maria coming back and will probably put back into the, the front three. Oh, well, no, not with uh, Neymar. Um, but with that kind of squad pressure. But yeah, I, 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 they definitely missed him. There's, there's no doubt about that. And it's his world-class talent that, that has been making the difference. 
Yeah, and I do want to sort of exacerbate a point on Unai Emery because Jez mentioned that the team seems a little bit strange playing those three midfielders when you have got that Champions League game where they will probably, well, almost definitely start together again. And I'm just looking at his substitutions, really. And Lucas Moura came on with about 66 minutes for, for Draxler. Is that the kind of player to unlock a team in the final third? No, he's more of a his pace and ability to get in behind isn't really going to work in that sort of circumstance. Why you would bring Draxler for that, even if he's struggling, I don't know. Second substitution is Danny Alves to come on for Thomas Mounier, which baffles the mind of why you would go, let's go more attacking, let's bring on another right back. Let's bring on this, let's switch right backs and go for someone who's maybe slightly more attacking. But Mounier isn't exactly the most defensive player in the world. The only positive change comes with 10 minutes left and Lo Celso coming on for Motta and changing formation a little bit. It just seems like this is a game where Montpellier had set 10 men behind the ball for the entirety of the game pretty much. There wasn't really an attack I can really remember other than there was a brief one in the first half. They just set up to not win this game. So why have they not taken a risk later? Earlier, sorry, at half time when they're not, getting through the, the gears. Why don't they bring on an Nkunku or a Salso then for Motta and, and try something different? It just, Jez, does it, does it worry you that Emery doesn't spot that kind of problem earlier against these teams that admittedly, even away from home, Paris Saint-Germain should be beating? I wouldn't say it worries me because I'm not a PSG yeah. fan. But <laughs> um, I, I'm not impressed with him either last season or this season so far. Um, I'm, again, we'll, we'll come back to it, but I'm not sure that he's handling the egos particularly well. Um, and, yeah, there just doesn't seem to be much imagination in what he's doing. I mean, you know, last week, though struggling against Lyon, he did, to his credit, bring on Los Celso, and he's the one who, who sort of unlocked the Lyon defence. If if there's a team playing the back, and as, as you said, effectively sort of um, 10 behind the ball, um, that's surely that's the kind of player you want, you know, uh, someone who's going to play a cute through ball for someone like Mbappe to run onto. Um, unless he's also thinking we only need to draw here. I, I, I genuinely don't know what, what, what his thinking is. Um, I mean, it's getting to the point where you're wondering if there's sort of pressure being exerted higher up to, um, to say, you know, there's certain players that have to play. Um, you know, there's lots of talk of the fact that Rabiot could play the holding midfield role if if they really wanted him to, but he's made clear that he doesn't want to and he's now sort of playing well enough that they don't want to rock the boat with him and his mum anymore. I, I don't know what the deal is, but I, some of his either choices or non-choices are a bit mystifying at times. And it is a worry for PSG fans going forward. And like has been mentioned in the press as well, that supposedly if they don't reach the, uh, the, I think it's the quarterfinals of the Champions League at least, he's probably gone. If they do, he's automatically got another year. So that will be interesting to say the least. Um, let's dig into you this. You shouldn't believe everything you hear about contract clauses at PSG. <laughs> Very true. And in, and in French football, we shouldn't, yeah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't listen to them at all. Um, let's get into this feud then. And I will preface this by saying that these are completely rumours. None of these have been confirmed in any kind of way, but speculation is lovely to talk about. So I'll go through quickly if you're unawares, but surely you would have seen it somewhere, our audience. So it began the other night against Leon, where um, Danny Alves kept the ball away from Cavani, passed it around his back to Neymar to take a free kick. Um, Cavani was not happy at all about that. They also had an argument on the pitch about the penalty, which uh, Cavani obviously won. There was supposedly an exchange in the dressing room that uh, Thiago Silva had to get involved with. This led to um, Danny Alves taking them for a meal this week, reportedly to work over some of these issues. Neymar supposedly wanting to share the penalty responsibility Feet. 
awesome. Big marquee signing has uh, shuffled some people the wrong way. Um, Peter, what's your take on all this? Uh, I'd like to add to the preface that I think the the, the latest stuff about um, the million euros um, to Cavani, about forwarding the contract agreement to pay for penalties, um, that came in that uh, report from El Pay in, in Spain uh, yesterday. Was it yesterday? I think yeah, it was. Late last night. Yeah. Um, you, you faded out a little bit there, Nathan, so I apologise if I, if I go over anything you've said. But um, one thing we, we, we <laughs> keep in mind is how much the Spanish press have sided with, with La Liga and their general war against PSG and their uh, transfer uh, uh, activity. Um, but, but, but there is no smoke without fire of some sort, um, normally. So um, I think it's very, very interesting and it definitely links towards... Emery, but there is clearly uh, something not quite right behind the scenes, and there, there, and what has been painted, uh, as much as we can interpret and say this, or oh, maybe this isn't, this isn't, is quite a, a, a grim picture. I mean, it, it, it's it's uh, in its extreme, it's some sort of maligned, divided. Uh, Emery is caught between these factions, and un, un, unable to cope. He's turning to uh, Nasser El Khalafi. To, to sort things out and there's, there's backhanded money going to players it's being rejected you've got this big money player Neymar coming in not really someone known for his uh, uh, exemplary professional attitude um, <laughs> coming in just, uh, <laughs> just uh, disrupting the, the what the supposedly stable ship they've also got the issues of players maligned players put aside who were to be cast out and thrown overboard and uh, in, in the report they're saying that players who are more secure like Cavani and, and Marquinhos for example are suddenly becoming their, their mouthpiece, their sort of um, their supporters in chief to bring to, to bring to the table against these new moneyed um, elite Neymar clique essentially. Um, uh, so that, that doesn't paint the the best sort of image, and 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 for for Emery, first of all, um, I it doesn't bode well. I mean, we we've just spoke about him, and and what that could mean later on the season. But I, you need someone with an ego. I mean, one of the reasons Zidane has done so well at Real Madrid is the the fact that his reputation far exceeds most players in that squad, with the exception of probably Ronaldo. Um, and they listen to him. Emery doesn't really have that kind of repertoire. Yes, he's won a number of Europa Leagues back-to-back, -back, but that won't put uh, the sheep in the pen. Um, so how do PSG move forward from this? I don't know. It depends on the extent of, of the damage done. Um, winning helps. Scoring goals helps. Not winning penalties seems to help too. Um, it's it's a difficult one, and I think it's it's also something that you, you know it's we could have seen coming. You know, when you're going to spend that much money on one player, he is going to become kingpin. He is going to become the man who calls the shots, and that will upset a lot of um, people who are already there. So, um, yeah, it's a big issue, and it's a big issue that Emery may not have very long to deal with, but it's definitely one for NASA to deal with. Jez, what do you make in all of this? I mean, if they are true, it does paint Neymar in a, a pretty sad picture, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with everything um, Pete said. And I think that, um, uh, firstly, I also started the preface that, um, you know, El, El Play said, I think the journalist is pretty well respected, but he's also um, apparently sort of very linked with Real Madrid. So, there could just be an element of staring in there. But yes, there is clearly a hell of a lot of truth to it as well. And yeah, Neymar hasn't always um, acted particularly well, um, whether it's all down to him or his dad, who seems a real sort of kind of string pillar in the background. I don't know. But um, the thing is, at Barcelona, he was, you know, everyone knows the reason he moved to PSG or one of the reasons was 
because he didn't want to be in Messi's shadow. He wanted his chance at winning, winning the Ballon d'Or. He wanted to be the star man. And if you spend <clears throat> 220 million on, on a player and you know that's his stated ambition, then basically he can, every time he feels like he isn't getting his way, he can turn around and say, well, well hang on, you know, you knew what the deal was here. Um, and I think PSG have put themselves in a bit of a difficult position. I, um, Pete says that El Khalafi needs to sort it out. Um, in theory, I agree, but I I still think um, after three, four, five, I mean, however many years he's been there, I still think part of the problem and a lot of problems that PSG have had during that period are I don't think he knows about football. I think he knows how to spend money. I don't think he knows about football. I don't think he knows about changing rooms, um, dynamics between players or anything like that. And um, I think, you know, after Leonardo was forced to leave PSG, he um, they struggled a little bit, um, and I think that could be a prob- um, a similar kind of problem going on now. And I actually think possibly the only person I'm not going to take credit for this. I read, um, I listened to um, Didier Rustan saying this on on, on a blog on Lecky, but um, but the first bit is my opinion that El Khalafi can't deal with it. I, I think Emery's too too weak to deal with it. Um, Ruston suggested possibly the only person who has a chance of sorting this out is Maxwell because he's Brazilian. He's got all the experience. Everyone respects him. Um, he's possibly, there's clearly developing a big split within the changing room and he might be the only person who can sort it out. If he can't, then I, I do think it could become quite quite a serious problem. I think it's fine as long as they're winning but the problems within the changing rooms could prevent them from winning. Um, you know, the, the Alves is clearly on, on Neymar's side, but even some of the other Brazilians, if what El País is saying is true, whereas everyone was saying, you know, Marquinhos, Thiago Silva, they're, they're sort of part of the Neymar clan. If it's true that, um, you know, that Thiago Silva is one of the people that, again, El Calafi publicly said, I'm happy to sell him because we need the money for, you know, to comply with FFP, then he's clearly not happy. Mura is a weird one. Every like Everyone at PSG seems to want him gone, but he's the one that Neymar is pushing not only to stay, but even to, to be a starter. Um, as you said, Marquinhos, again, is supposed to be a mate of Neymar, but he's, you know, he... He's kind of the one of the future leaders of PSG, so I can understand why he's concerned. Um, depending on what and how much is true, there clearly is an issue there. And Cavani isn't doing himself too many favours. I mean, he's kind of quite fairly seen as the, the victim in all this. But um, again, you know, the same principle is as long as they keep winning, it doesn't matter so much. As long as he keeps scoring, it doesn't matter so much. And again, he had a, he had a pretty flaky game the other, on, at the weekend. I was thinking like that, the, um, you know, you've got the Cruyff turn at some point, surely the air shot has to be named after Cavani. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, it, it's, however much is true or not, there's, there's something there. It, it's already messy and it stands to get messier. Yeah, I, I think what's alarming about this PSG side in general from something like this even leaking is the lack of leaders. Again, they've lost a, a couple in the summer. Matuidi would have possibly been someone like that as, as well as Maxwell, who's obviously retired and, and we hope can do something about it. But it again speaks to Thiago Silva being a little bit of a, soft touch as a captain again we hark back to if Slatan Ibrahimovic was in that dressing room there will be absolutely no way this will be happening because it would not go past him because the the fact that they lack that big personality anymore just speaks volumes to something of this happening and he's kind of slicked out of it a little bit but I, I think Danny Alves should be catching a little bit more slack for this he's obviously involved with it he had a couple of issues at Juventus as well that ended up him obviously leaving that club. So there's a little worry on that side. 
no one really well, comes would, up. I think he is the potential. He is the potential leader, and maybe it says something that he's the one that arranged this meal. But at the same time, he's kind of compromised himself by being the one, the first one who sort of brought all these issues to, to everyone's attention by taking the ball off Cavani for the free kick. So, yeah, that doesn't scream leader to me. In all honesty, no. yeah, even with he did the right thing in the end, but. You shouldn't be doing the right thing in the end. There's, I'm thinking of loads of players in different teams that just wouldn't have left this slide because the the team dynamic is the most important thing. You don't win anything on your own, and every single great player will tell you that. And Neymar probably needs to learn it. Um, let's very quickly touch on Montpellier, and I, I want to get your thoughts again, Peter. They were pretty solid and resound, and like we mentioned, a lot of. Um, PSG's actual chances came from Toulouse mistakes, but at the same time, were they a little bit lucky? There was a, a couple of lucky deflections. They threw themselves at the balls at times. It, it was certainly not pretty, but effective. Yeah, pretty but effective, I think, is the best way of describing it. Um, yeah, it was very much a, a backs to the wall job, as in facing the wall rather than just being pushed back against it. Um, they. Uh, the chances, yeah, the chance they did concede. I mean, they could have conceded a late penalty. I mean, sometimes you see them given, especially in league arm, but um, with a tackle on Cavani. But uh, yeah, I think Mbappe had a good opportunity. Thiago Silva had a good opportunity with a header at the back post. Um, but yeah, like, like I said before, I I I do see, I do see how they were shooting themselves in the foot. And them. I mean, I think um, Zakarin set up with that sort of mentality in mind that they may make mistakes but they they didn't make any that were, were costly enough to concede a goal so from that perspective they did really well and I mean they've looked I mean defensively they've been excellent this season um they've picked up points they're 12th at the moment and I, I thought they'd be a side that would struggle I uh, really did when when you look at their attacking options and you're, you're looking at Giovanni Sio as your, as your big money man coming in um that doesn't fill you in, with confidence so um there's a massive point for them. I think the pitch helped um, a little bit. I mean, it's, it's always nice to blame something else other than yourself. Um, it seemed to catch uh, the pretty passing midfield trio off guard a little bit. Um, but, uh, their lack of tempo, I think, is, is more to blame necessarily. Uh, but the pitch didn't help. Um, certainly helped Montpellier. It was a flat back five. Thought they were led superbly by by Hilton Mendes with his experience alongside him. Um, Aguilar was excellent at right back against um, Mbappe. So yeah, in key positions that they, they performed and they, they could have nicked it as well. I think um, I think it was Roussillon at the end mm. with a who missed a, an overhit pass in a two v one situation. But yeah, I think yeah, they, they, I thought they did really really well. And they they had a game plan and they stuck to it um, and they didn't let PSG play. Um, especially a reluctant PSG seemed to in terms of pace of their performance. Yeah, I think a mixture of Mikhail Dizakarin, who's a very defensive-minded coach and a, a bogey team really in Montpellier. Obviously, they, they beat them through nut home last season. <laughs> sort of colluded in this one being a, in a goalless draw and it's uh, another one Paris Saint-Germain will probably want back if they could. But th their attention will now turn to a, a looming German giant on the horizon, really. They host by Munich on Wednesday evening. Uh, Jez, is this a big chance for them to make a real statement to the rest of Europe, especially seeing as Bayern Munich aren't in the greatest of form at the moment as well? Yeah, definitely is. I think probably um, the first rounds of Champions League matches, PSG were arguably... Um, if not the most impressive performance, I th they seem to, you know, the, I think the British press are pretty harsh with, with French teams in general and everyone's gunning a little bit for PSG this year, but generally everyone was really complimentary about how they played against Celtic. So I think they are starting to be taken seriously, but they need to back that up. If they have a poor performance against Bayern, then you know, the good performance against Celtic will suddenly become it was only Celtic and you went missing against, um, you know, one of your supposed big rivals. So it's a great chance to make a statement and Bayern really aren't in the best of form, haven't started the season well. So, yeah, it really is a good chance for PSG. 
Peter, like I've already mentioned, Bayern aren't in the greatest of form. They've they've lost, well, they've dropped points in recent games, losing to Hoffenheim. They drew it at the weekend as well. There's issues off the field from Lewandowski to Thomas Muller speaking out about the club really not moving forward and, and not really being as fluent as they have in the past. But at the same time, obviously PSG drew at the weekend. The the, the issues in the back for them as well. Is this a real vital game for for the French team to for their early season to possibly lay down a marker, especially given how good of an opponent Bayern can be on their on their day? Yeah, I think it's it's setting up to be a really poignant game for both sides, and especially Bayern Munich. I mean, this isn't the Bayern Munich, uh, the juggernaut, the German juggernaut that we're used to. I mean, they have stuttered a little bit. They, they're missing some important players. They, they won't, they'll be without Alaba, and, and more importantly, they'll be without uh, Manuel Neuer, um, who's broken his foot again. They've got Sven Ulreich in goal, and he made a horrendous error in that Wolfsburg game. It's absolutely atrocious. There's a Max Arnold free kick from well over 35 yards, and it's straight at him, and he seems to palm at it with one hand, and it goes straight through him and into the back of the net. So there's a, there's a vulnerability to Bayern, and there's, a, there's that sense of unease, that discontent, you know, what Muller's been saying. There are questions about Ancelotti. Um, he's, he's rotated the squad quite a bit. It seems like he doesn't know his best side. They're very reliant on Lewandowski's goals. He scored seven and the nearest person to him is is, uh, is Robin with two. So it'll be very interesting to see well, how Bayern Munich line up. Um, and it's, as you said, it was, it's important for them. I mean, a win and then suddenly it's not all isn't that bad. We're only two points off Dortmund. It's fine. Defeat and the atmosphere turns completely the other, other direction. There's also that sense of um, impending change as the, with the Nagelsmann is seen as the, the man in waiting and permanently on standby. And with Ancelotti's contract up at the end of the season, it's all but set that he will go. Um, so there's that looming over in the corner. And for Bayern, they're, they're not in a comfortable state. They're not smashing teams. They're not as fluid as they have been in the past. And, and of course, we've, as we've been talking about with PSG, this is a, a PSG side with his own issues and his own problems and the determination to, to show they've got what it takes. And, you know, you can they, they should really sense blood on uh, when they play them this week. So, But this is Bayern Munich and they will be with some of their key players. You've got Muller Lewandowski, Robin. Uh, it be interesting to see if James Rodriguez gets, gets the nod. He's only played 90 minutes once this season, but he was superb against Schalke. So... But we don't. It's hard to pinpoint exactly how Bayern will line up because of how how much they've changed, how they will line up because of how much they have changed. So and rotated. Uh, but it's a really big opportunity for PSG um, to really set the mark and um, put their stall out. And as Jez was saying, show that they they can do more than just beat Celtics five 0 but they can also beat the best. Um, and Bayern, as a, as the prime representative of the Bundesliga, are that them so yeah very big game very poignant as well yeah for both teams. and those that said there's a lot of boring games in the Champions League group stages are woefully off the mark when you're putting two teams like that together and with the interesting backstories as well coming together that's going to be a really exciting one on Wednesday but before that um, Monaco will be hosting Porto in another interesting game uh, Jez, obviously the Portuguese champions are, are managed by former not manager um, Conceição and they, they're unbeaten so far this season domestically. How important is it for Monaco since they drew in Germany to take a victory in, in their first home game of the Champions League group stages? I think it's extremely important. I think that a draw against Leipzig <clears throat> was, was a decent start. I still think this Monaco team sort of feeling its way and... Um, you have to respect a team that finished second in the Bundesliga first match away from home. I think possibly after the match, maybe Monaco and Jardim might have regretted they didn't go for it a little bit more because I don't think Leipzig were particularly impressive against them. Um, I think they did set out to get the draw um, and I think it's a solid start, but now they, they have to back that up by, by you know, winning at home. And I certainly think they're capable of doing it. If they if they don't, then they are. I think they are struggling um, for the rest of the the knockout stage or the sorry the group stage. Um, you know that they've quite rightly built a 
good reputation for themselves based on um, a couple of years back when they when they beat Arsenal and obviously the brilliant run last year. Um, everyone acknowledges that it's not quite the same team, but still, you know, Monaco now is kind of back where where it was a while ago um, as a as a decent name on the European stage, and they need to. Um, show show why that is i guess um and justify um the fact that they are a team that that should be respected and feared peter in this kind of group where all four teams are, are respected and quality opponents and probably on a similar-ish level how important is it to win these home games against any of these opponents especially with that draw and Porto obviously losing their first game, they might be in already in desperation mode. Yeah, um, you win your home games, you get nine points, and often it's about nine, ten, eleven points is often enough to to pass through into the knockout stages. Um, when a group is as tight as this, you you can allow yourself some leeway um, as well, which is which is important. Um, I think as as Jess was saying, they will be disappointed that they didn't beat Leipzig because they hadn't started that well uh, in Germany. Uh, but a good side all the same. Um, but Porto will be another uh, another story. I mean, they, I think they've, they've won seven out of seven this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they look like they're finding form and under Conte Sowers, as and we know how his side played last season with Nantes. So yeah, it's a rerun of the 2004 final. So that should be fun. But yeah, I, I agree. They they do need to win the home games. Um, and, and, you know, if they do that, then they give themselves the best opportunity of, of making through to knockout stages. And, and really, I think Monaco should be, especially if they want... With the with the squad they've now got, even without Mbappe and, and Silva and, and Mendy, and, um, I think they've replaced well enough to, to think that they should be pushing forward. I think they do need to take some of the pressure off Falcao in terms of goals. Um, it's good to see Jovetic t- uh, getting his first for, for the club um, against Lille. Um, but uh, they, they need to spread the goals out a little bit. Um, I think we were talking about that last week. So, but yeah, I think uh, it's going to be a tough game for them. But yeah, win the home games, and you know you should be making it through. Really, mm, that should be the hope, really. And it'll be nice to see Conte Sal back on French soil. Although last time he played Monaco, they lost four 0 and, and I'm especially looking forward to seeing Vincent Aboubakar back in France as well. I, I did used to really enjoy him, even though he's a fiery temperament he scored six goals so far this season as well but he did end up in Besiktas's dressing room after their win earlier this well two weeks ago in that first game so Porto fans might not be too delighted he is a uh, so on fire he's a bit of an odd character sometimes um let's talk about quickly the Europa League games and, and I'll start with Marseille Jez they're facing Red Bull Salzburg but obviously they won their opening fixture after they've sort of started to get back onto form with with NG and and Paye sort of finding their feet and and getting a nice little win against Toulouse, who were pretty tepid really at the weekend, um, is it p- important for them to carry on on that kind of form in a, in a competition that they should be aiming to get far in? Assuming that they want to get far in it and, yeah. and they play a strong team, um, then again we. <laughs> When you're off form and you're not playing well, you know whether it's a striker or a team as a whole, people keep saying you know the most important thing is start getting goals, start getting wins, however you get them. And as you said, that their their first European outing, I thought they were pretty unimpressive and were relatively lucky to to get a result out of that against Toulouse. Um, you know, both goals were were freak goals. It looked like they were trying not to score them, um, but they they were two wins and um at Salzburg I don't think is a particularly easy place to go but I don't think they've had a brilliant start to the season um and yeah I think Marseille should be looking um to try to win that not only for for their sort of European prospects but also just to try to um keep a gradually improving confidence going um you know the the fans there are so important like the mood that they're in, whether they get behind the team or not, um, seems to affect the players' performances so much. Obviously, a lot more at the velodrome, but just in general. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, still not absolutely impressed by their form, but 
they're on an upward trajectory, and I think it's important for them that they try to to carry that on. Peter Leon are taking on Atalanta, and it's in the Europa League last time they were kicked in the teeth by Apollon Limassol, drawing away from home in a game they really should be winning in this group where the top three teams are really close. And they had mud rubbed in their eyes on at the weekend with Dijon uh, nicking a draw late on, and it brought up some defensive questions again. But surely a win is a must in this game for for the French side if they want to progress. Yeah, I think it is a must if they want to progress. And I mean, they did rest Depay and, and Cornet. Well, if you rested him, um, rested Depay, <laughs> I'm not sure. But um, yeah, it is a must-win game, but it's not one that they're necessarily guaranteed to win. Atlanta are a really, really tough opposition. Um, I mean, they've, they've started a bit. They've started slowly in Serie A um, compared to last term. They've lost a couple of players, but um, they haven't had the easiest of starts. Uh, they comfortably, uh, comfortably beat uh, Everton and put, uh, put them aside with ease. Um, so it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. And I think Leon may, may with the defensive vulnerabilities we've seen. I mean, their free-free draw with Dijon's their second of the season at home now. So. I think they do need to um, they do need to pick up a win here at like Monaco win your home games, but we'll, they do need to pick a win up here if they want to progress. And I, I think they'll do well to progress. Um, I think Everton and Atlanta are two excellent sides, and I think those two probably edge it over Leon, a Leon side that of course is is has started very well uh, this season. And don't get me wrong, but. Um, they're still not the. They don't have the same experience that they did last season. So, uh, it's yeah, it's a must-win game really, um, especially at home. But there's no guarantees of a win by any stretch of the imagination. Man, I'll chat fine about the final game really in the Europa League, and that's Nice facing Vitesse. And Nice have been improving the last couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden, a two-two draw where they had to come from two goals down as well against Angers, kind of put a spanner in the works a little bit. It's a bit of a shame that Angers are a good side, but they, it looked like Nice were finally finding a little bit of form and they were better in the second half, but it's a tougher game than they might have expected against Vitesse. They, I've seen them a few times this season and they've, they've been pretty good. They picked up an impressive 2-1 win away to Ajax at the weekend. They've got a couple of good players that are like Milo Rashid's here and, uh, and um, Brian Linson, who they got from uh, Groningen. The two wingers are, are both interesting players and scored a few goals each of them. And they've brought older uh, Tim Matavs, who used to be in uh, Italy for a few years as a centre centre forward as well. They, they, that's going to be quite an interesting game than some people might give it credit for. And it's absolutely not a walkover for Nice. And if they come up with the wrong attitude and, and, and the wrong play again, like a little bit lackadaisical like they were in the first half, the result of the weekend in the Eredivisie will tell you that it's... They're not the easiest of opponents if you don't keep your eyes on them anyway. Um, we'll move on to a new challenger approaching in the form, in Ligue 1 at least anyway, in the form of Bordeaux. Uh, they're unbeaten this season and they put Gangomp to the sword on Saturday, Jez, with a 3-1 win. Um, can they be genuine Champions League place contenders this season? Um, I think they can. I, I still expect PSG and Monaco to to get the first two spots comfortably. But I don't think there's any really obvious candidates for for third place. I I still think Lyon should be favourites, but they're sort of failing to launch at the moment. And Bordeaux are, are having a fantastic start. I think a, a lot sort of centres around Malcolm. I'd worry for them slightly more if he got injured, but it's not entirely a one-man team. I think they're they're playing very well together. They were particularly impressive at the weekend, and um, I certainly think, that, yeah, I certainly think that 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 they'll be around the third place, certainly around the, the yeah, fighting for third place um, nearer the end of the season. Peter, what do you think? I mean, we've we spoke spoke about. Malcolm, sorry, ad nauseum so far this season, and he's been excellent. But what other players have really brought to the fore this season? Who else has impressed you? Well, they've got a really strong attacking um, front line, haven't they? They've got Kamano, uh, I think he's been, he's looked good. Um, 
They brought in Jonathan Caffey, who came off the bench and scored. That what I like about what what uh, Govanek's got with Bordeaux is he's got options and he's he's willing to rotate and change things. Uh, they brought in Alexander Mendy from from Gangol. Um, he's a completely different option to Depreville, who they also brought in uh, over the summer. Um, Mendy's a bigger player; he's stronger, um, gives him a more direct option. Whereas uh, Depreville, of course, is is more intricate, um, trying to peel away from centre halves. So they've got choice and, and, and ways of rotating and mixing things up. And they've got Malcolm, and Malcolm's been excellent this season. And as you said, we, we, we keep going on about him, but he has been the standout uh, young talent this season. Um, but they, they have the, there are other players there who can shoulder the burden equally. Um, and they've also got a really good manager who's uh, capable of bringing through young players and, and, and driving a side like Bordeaux forward. The only concern is defence. Um, You've still got two Lelon, uh, in that back line. So he, at his age, he, he represents a vulnerability. I think that um, when you're looking at um, pushing for the top three, you want to have an all-round solid side. And I think the test against PSG this weekend uh, will be uh, a really good one to see what kind of uh, state they are in. And I think when we compare them to the other sides who want to be competing for that top three, uh, Leon, I think they're on, at least on equal parity with Leon in terms of uh, squad and ability, uh, the exception of defence. Um, Santa Tien, I can't see sustaining themselves with where they are. Um, but Nice, I think, will, will probably pose a really strong challenge. I think they will push back on. They seem to be, even though they did drop points, um, uh, the weekend just gone. So, but yeah, I think they, they can push for Champions League, definitely. And I, I've yeah, I think their front line is is really really effective. I think Costil was a very good signing as well. And I think Carasso did have a good season last year, but I think Costil's probably in the, the next level up. And you know, against Toulouse in the last match, where in the first half in particular the Bordeaux were pretty poor, he kept them in it. And then um, you know he was helped out by Briand. It was an awful penalty, but two minutes in, Gangon got a penalty. If Bordeaux chasing the game early, it could be different, but you know, Costil sort of stepped up and saved it. And then um, I think you know the, the game has a slightly different complexion from there. So I think that was a really canny signing from Bordeaux. And I think he, he's providing good sort of leadership and I guess security from the back as well. Um, I agree the defence, or certainly the central defence is um, probably the weak point, but with Costil behind, he may, he may bail them out a few times. Yeah, I just feel that if if in January they can bring in a centre back and use Toulon slightly well into the sort move him sort of defensive midfield if they need to, or or use him on a rotation basis, and then you get Nicola de Prevo firing alongside Camado and Malcolm, you've got a really interesting side. They've got goals in midfield, they've got quality up front. Another centre back means they're probably more solid at the back, and then. They're making an interesting side. I'm just worried if they have one or two injuries that they don't quite have the quality coming through. I think they've maybe got enough in those wide areas with, like we've mentioned, Cafu replacing someone like Malcolm or Kamano if they go. But if if Depreville goes, I don't think Labor hasn't shown enough. In midfield as well, if they lose one of the midfielders, have they got enough depth there? If they lose a centre-back, it, it might as well be a death sentence because they're already playing a defensive midfielder there. So that's maybe my only worry. And I think that Europa League exit early as well was maybe a blessing in disguise. We didn't think of that at the start of the season. We were more cursing at why they lost to Videoton, but uh, it might have just helped them. Similar to it, it helps Nice in a way to just ignore that competition and and take Liga and as it has, and if they if they can continue that with other teams around them playing in that competition, they might might just sneak it if they. It's a good start at least to be unbeaten as well. But let's go to our snapshots really now, and I'll start with you, Jez. What's your Liga snapshot for this week? Um, so mine comes from Lyon this week, where um, Hasemo, uh, um I don't think it was his debut for Lyon but um, certainly not in all competitions possibly in Ligue 1 but um, he started ahead of Depay thought had a really good game and um, topped it off with um, his first Ligue 1 goal he's 19 um, but 
even more impressive than that is that they brought on near the end of the match. Um, we're not 100% sure how to pronounce it, but I think it's Willem Goebbels, um, who's 16 and one month old. And they're just two of um, a group of sort of four or five really talented um, attackers, attacking midfielders that, that Lyon have got in their ranks. There's also um, Amin Gouiri, who had a, a brilliant um, Euro under 17 tournament in the summer. I think he scored something like nine in four games. Um, he's 17. Um, Mizian Maulida, he's, he's 18. Um, so, you know, as you said, that Lyon have um, bought in this summer as well. But again, they've also got some really good young players coming through their academy who hopefully will break into the first team um, sort of gradually this year, but certainly over the next year or two. And, you know, the fact that they're, they're, they're giving a 16 year old a start. You know, suggests that he is a bit special. Mm, it usually does if it's coming from Leon, especially. Uh, Peter, what's your league and snapshot? My snapshot this weekend is Mario Balotelli. Um, I picked him out because he's he's becoming a goal scorer on a far more consistent level than he has done for a long time. Um, he, I, th- I think, he scored six and seven this season, which is about eleven in his last thirteen, and he's becoming very, very important for Nice. Uh, as a focal point, um, last season he still scored 17 goals, uh, which was one of his best returns ever. And we we always talk about Balotelli and the the talent he has and what he could achieve. And and then we see he's 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 mouthing off to a referee or he's getting himself sent off for stupid things or he's fiddling around with tape so that his manager loses the plot in their most important game of the season in the Champions League. Um, and but. In footballing terms, he, he's he's scoring goals again, and he, he I think he's I've looked at the stats, and he's got the third highest um, minutes per goal ratio in league on this season, behind Ng and and the irrepressible Falcao. It's like sixty eight minutes per goal he's averaging at the moment, um, which is not to be laughed at. For and there were pictures of him I think last week of him trying to study the game. He uh, I think it was against uh, Ren. I think. Uh, trying to improve on his performance, but he he looks like he's found um, a place where he can develop really well. And I think the winning goal against Ren that he scored last week uh, was was a world class finish. Um, and he's 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 becoming a match winner for them. Um, and yeah, and I think from potentially if he can keep pushing on, maybe we'll see more of that coulda shoulda woulda coulda Balotelli. But for now, he's doing really well and he's scoring goals. Um, and he's becoming a really important player for, for Nice. Hmm. I've got three this week, and I always like a couple of little ones, and then I will have a little bit of a rant after that. And my first one goes to uh, Nessa Hel Halifi, who visited the Louis Nicolin Museum whilst in Montpellier the weekend, and he handed them a, a nice memento, which was a Neymar shirt, which was really nicely done, I thought. And, and although it was, was a divisive character at the moment, it is a it was nice of them both to uh, share a moment with uh, someone that, that obviously the Montpellier fans and many Ligue 1 fans uh, remember so fondly. Um, the second one is in, in Caen. If you've watched um, the highlight show, you would have seen it as well. But um, a marriage proposal took place in the uh, French side this weekend. And she said yes. Um, the ring was presented to them with a bouquet of flowers by the Viking mascot, which looked uh, very strange and odd. And they sat in the dugout for the entirety of the game with the groom looking very much pleased with a 1-0 win. Uh, his wife, may- maybe less so, but um, she'll be happy that she's getting married nonetheless. And uh, finally, um, it's it's that team again, isn't it? It's Lille. Um, I don't get what they're doing. We were speaking before the show and Jez mentioned that... Um, someone within the Lille hierarchy were saying that they dominated the French champions that beat them 4-0 on the evening. Um, I don't know what he classes as domination. It certainly doesn't sound like that. They had more possession, that's true. What they did with that position, possession was uh, nothing, really. It amounted to absolute zilch. They have no attack. Um, Luis Araujo was unfortunate when he was dragged off at half-time. They never really created anything. You look at the players there, that Nicolas Pepe, he's not a striker. I didn't think he was a striker at Angers, and we all mentioned at the start of the season it's, he seemed a, 
a bit overrated to go for that much money and be linked with that much teams. I think that's maybe even an understatement. Now he's been awful to start this season and he's nowhere near showing the, the class that other teams were, were looking for him. And then, then you look to other players <coughs> on that side. I'm thinking El Zar's never really done an enormous amount for them really either. I'm looking at... I thought El Ghazi had a good assist for Monaco's first goal. Yeah, at least he can help the other team score. And another player I wanted to point out is Yassin Benzia, another player that seems to every so often alert us to saying he was actually half decent when he was younger. Let's eliminate that fallacy now that he's he's never going to reach any kind of height, I don't think. He's not a striker, he's not a winger, he's not a creator. He doesn't really do anything in this Lille side. And in the end, they're, they're so bad up front that it's not really helping and not great events try and do its job for as long as possible and and really Monaco had four chances and scored four goals really and Lille have to do something I think they brought in too many players they got rid of too much experience and that side is just sinking without a trace and Bielsa can say all the things he likes he's in real trouble not just from possibly him walking in away anymore if if it continues like this i mean they've they're probably a little bit lucky that their next couple of games should and i i do emphasize the word should be easier fixtures they've got Amiens next weekend they've got a couple of those more with signs around them like twire the weekend after that they've got um mets in a in a, in the start of november as well sandwiched between sort of marseille and Rennes. They have to start picking up points. They they looked good in that opening game, but they've scored one goal since then against Angers. One goal. That should be all you need to say about that, really. They have had a awful start to the season. Um, let's finish off with some viewers' questions that hopefully will be a little bit more positive than that anyway. Um, we'll start with this one from Ed Pham, and it, it is for early on in the season, but he's asking for the biggest surprise really so far at the moment for you guys that I'll let that be as open as you like it to be, whether that be a player, a manager, a team, I'll throw it at you first, Jez, who's been your biggest surprise or what has been your biggest surprise? Um, I do like Jonathan Bamber at Saint-Etienne. Um, I think he showed a lot of potential anyway, last year when he was unknown at Angers, but I didn't think that he'd necessarily sort of command a, a starting spot as soon as he came into Saint-Étienne and certainly not be as impressive as he has been. I think his, his goal scoring record's improved a bit by um, the fact that he's the main penalty taker there, but I think he's just slipped into that team really impressively. Um, and... You know, talking about how overrated Nicola Pepe was, um, is in well, your opinion and mine as well. Um, you know, the two that were at Angers last year, um, I know he was only on loan, but I think Bamba was more impressive at Angers and this year, and he's playing in a different, a different, a completely different level to, to Pepe. Oh, sorry, I didn't know you carry on, Jess. I was just going to cheat because while I was saying that, I also was reminded about Ndombele, mm. that we spoke a lot about him last week. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm going to count that as cheating as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Peter, what, what, what's been your biggest surprise so far? Oh, I was going to say Ndombele, but then you stole it, Jess. <laughs> uh, my biggest surprise is the number of goals from outside the box scored by Nantes. Um, they have. They seem to have this repertoire of scoring outrageous goals, and it's the only way they seem to score goals. Because otherwise, apart from that, they don't seem like they they will. I mean, the two goals they scored against Strasbourg were sensational, especially Dubois. <laughs> they had no backlift whatsoever, and he stuck it in the top left corner. It's absolutely outrageous. It's definitely worth seeing. Um, in terms of teams, uh, I think Caen have been my surprise package so far. They've done really, really well. Eighth at the moment, twelve points. Um, yeah, very impressive. Yeah, you've stole mine now in Con. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, wouldn't it? We're all stealing each other. At the start of the show, there was no feud between us, but it seems like we started. <laughs> it's that tension in the air, isn't it? I think. <laughs> um, I think my surprise so far it, it is, I think, probably Ren in the terms of 
been maybe a bad surprise. I, I expected them to probably be a little bit better. They've not had the greatest of schedules. They've got better in recent weeks. But when you look at the, the results and you're looking at six points from seven games, it's not the greatest of starts. And is Gorkov maybe still under pressure? He's maybe because of the performance has got away with it. But they've got Kong at the weekend and Kong in decent form. They're much higher than them. If they lose that one, Maybe he's back on the hot seat as well. So I'm going to go with them. Um, let's get a few more in here. And uh, we've got one from Fred. Uh, very quick one for both of you, really. Who has a better chance at finishing third place this season? We've briefly touched on it tonight. We, but he's going for Bordeaux or Marseille, alluding to that he thinks Santetian are probably riding their luck at the moment. I'll start with you, Peter. Who do you think finishes third? Well, in current form, it's Bordeaux. But... I feel like Rudy Garcia has sort of stabilised the ship a little bit at Marseille. They do seem a little reliant on NG, but I thought they looked very good with, with Payet through the middle. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'll stick with Bordeaux, I think. Keep my answer brief. Jez? Um, <clears throat> I feel like I should stick with Leon just because I said that earlier, although I agree with Pete, I think. Um, nice is still going to have a strong season. I feel more comfortable saying it definitely won't be Marseille than saying who it will be. I, I'm going to be sneaky and, and disagree with Fred actually and think that Saint-Etienne might just ride their luck long enough that they get to the January transfer window, pull a couple more players in and, and maybe nick it. They've got a good solid base. They've got finally some sort of attacking impetus as well and they, they keep nicking results as well which is vitally important and they've Done really well so far, in my opinion. Um, this one from, excuse me, Football News. Um, I'm going to get one name from you each because he's asking for three coaches that should replace Emery at PSG. And I'll give you a couple of moments to think, guys, because it's a little bit more difficult, but I've been pondering this one. And uh, the, the first name I'll throw in there is Thomas Tuchel. He did well at Dortmund. He obviously maybe fell out with a board in the end, but maybe that fiery personality might help as well as his attacking brand of football on the pitch they played decent football at Dortmund they had nice flowing attacking players much like what they would have at his disposal at PSG he's a name coach at least in the moment and hasn't had the top tier job maybe although many would say Dortmund are close to that um, but he's certainly one um, that PSG might have their eye on should a, should a Emery need replacing um, I'll go with you first Jez have you got a name to throw in the hat I'm trying to think who's who's available. I mean, if if we're assuming that um, they're not going to sort of steal anyone who's who's currently in a job, although if they want to, you've got to you've got to bring in a manager who's going to have the the reputation that's going to put Neymar in his place, essentially, which is which you may not even do. But there's no manager at the moment out there available in that in that position. I would say um, no manager that's going to do significantly better than. Than, than what Emery's doing. Maybe Luis Enrique, because he's had experience with Neymar before. But That's who I'd have suggested purely for that reason, that he, he has been been there and done that, including with, with Neymar. Um, again, I, I'm not confident that whoever is picked will be picked necessarily because they're the best person for the job or the best name available. Um, but... I can't. I can't. Apart from Enrique and Antuco, I can't think of anyone who's actually available who who would be necessary up to the job. I don't think Christoph Gautier is. Um, they're very yeah. welcome to take Hinchberger from from Mets. Yeah, Moyes maybe. <laughs> I, I'll throw a name of someone who's currently in a job but might not be by that time. He's a PSG favourite. He's known as very much a players' manager. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti might be available in the summer. He's done reasonably well in the past is he maybe the right name to bring in at this time maybe not but he's certainly someone who would steady the ship and possibly get everyone on board because he's that kind of a warm personality when you do read how many players have got so many glowing things to say about him he might be the, the right kind of character for that one um one final question and this is from uh, arian h 1999 um i'll aim this one at you jez because you did talk about those youngsters um, from Leon, will you uh, those youth academy graduates like Goebbels and and our and others to come? Obviously, uh, help them compete against PSG in the long term. 
Um, in the long term, um, it's so hard to say. I mean, Lyon, for their for their recent faults and Olas recently seeming like he's losing the plot, they are generally a very well run club. And you know, when they start making decent amounts of money from the stadium, if these players come through, um, possibly the. I just, I don't, apart from PSG, I think any other club is going to be like Monaco this year that, you know, they can have one great season, um, but just the way that Ligue 1 is and the fact that it's a selling league, it's hard to see any other club having the means to be able to build any kind of dynasty. I think that's the problem. So I, I can't see anyone sort of being able to consistently challenge PSG year in, year out. Um, but you know, if they all do come through at the same time, possibly, um, you know that these ones are all strikers. They they need um, so, some good ones to come through further back, and you know, most Lyon fans would say they also need a decent coach. Um, but yeah, by all accounts, that there's there's huge potential there. But yeah. to go as far as to say challenging PSG, they need a, a lot of other things to go their way as well. Yeah, and hope that PSG don't pinch half of them if they turn out any good as well. Yeah, that would be the worry well, for the yeah. future. Uh, that's all we have time for this week. My thanks to Jez, Peter, and everyone tuning in at home. Uh, join us for the preview show on Thursday, and the Bone Shame will be back at the same time, same place next week. Uh, I'll be Anto, and goodbye.